Welcome to Mom and Up. With your co-host, developmental psychologist Dr. Marty Erickson and Dr. Aaron Erickson, maternal child health specialist and nurse practitioner. Here's my grandma Marty. And here's Aaron, my mom and mom. Welcome to Mom Enough. I'm Marty Erickson here with my daughter Erin, and we're going to be talking today about a topic that really is very personal for us, and I'm sure you'll hear a little bit about that as we go along in our conversation with the terrific guest we've lined up for today. We're going to be talking about ADHD. I'm sure many of you have people in your family or your circle of friends, or perhaps you yourself, have dealt with ADHD, and our guest today has has been spending a a long time in helping families deal with ADHD and related issues in their own families. Dr. Noreen Russell began Russell Coaching for Students in 2009. Now that is a premier national coaching practice for middle school through college students with students across the United States and Canada. But Dr. Russell's passion for providing support to frustrated students and weary parents is fueled by her own experience of raising two complex children who are both neurologically atypical. Her children's diagnoses include autism, mood disorders, ADHD, giftedness, and learning differences. And I'm sure many of you can relate to those kinds of multiple diagnoses and all that that entails for a family and a child. Dr. Russell knows firsthand the exhaustion parents face as day in and day out they seek solutions for their out-of-the-box children. The entire team at Russell Coaching is committed to supporting the psychological well-being, education, and family life of their clients. So Dr. Russell or Noreen, welcome to Mom Enough. We're really glad to have you here to chat with us today. I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, selfishly, I'm just thrilled to have you here because I know that there will be some wise insights that I can apply right away today in my own home having a a couple of kids with ADHD. So you've worked with many parents of kids of all ages who have ADHD. What do most parents of kids with ADHD not know that they should know? I think the biggest thing that I have learned over the years is that the ADHD professional community does not yet do a great job educating parents about ADHD diagnosis and treatment. So one of the things that I would really like parents to understand, and I think it makes their life easier, is that there truly are best practices and evidence-based practices for treating ADHD. I think the message that many parents of kids with ADHD get is, oh, well, we can try this accommodation, or you can try medicine if you want, or, well, there's a training program for parents. It's sort of, um, I think the analogy is, here's a menu and you can pick and choose whatever you'd like. But if we make a medical analogy, if your child has a broken leg, the doctor makes a recommendation on the basis of what's the best possible medical treatment to have that leg healed and working optimally again. And so I think that as a field, because people who treat ADHD come from so many different disciplines, it's truly hard to be on the same page about a 
combined parent message. And the thing I would say to all parents is go find the 2019 American Academy of Pediatrics best practices white paper and learn what is actually going to help your child and become an advocate for it in a way you don't have to if your child has a broken leg or needs glasses. You have to truly become an ADHD expert. And then if you'll allow me, I think a second piece that I see quite frequently over the years is I would caution parents against putting all their eggs in the school basket, right? We enter this time of parenting, right? School-age parenting thinking, schools got this, right? They're the experts, they're gonna take care of this, they'll tell me if there's a problem, they'll guide me, they'll be the leaders, right? And I think the sooner that parents realize school has a very specific role that's invaluable, right? But it's not comprehensive. And so don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket in the sense of if we just get a good enough 504 or IEP plan, our problems will be solved. The ADHD will be taken care of, right? It's a small piece of the puzzle. It's a critical piece, you must have it in place, but it is not the comprehensive answer for the challenges of ADHD. So those would be the two things I would say is become knowledgeable, read the 2019 paper from Academy of American Academy of Pediatrics, figure out what is science-based best practices, and then yes, have a school plan, but don't expect school to do everything. That's that's wise advice, Noreen. I think, uh, you know, a lot of parents are probably just not even sure what to do when it comes with this. You know, I know when one of my children had their initial evaluation, um, you know, they had many strengths. And, and so, you know, yes, we're going to focus on how can we maximize those strengths. And then, you know, we got a long list of accommodations. And the reality is a lot of those, I mean, maybe they were uh, mostly practical, but some of them were harder to implement. And a lot of them, I just felt like, I don't know that that alone is going to be the change that's needed here. And so the really interesting thing that I observed with one of my children is that they uh, really started kind of diving into it themselves and researching different methods for getting more organized and um, really were able to build new patterns and ways of doing things to help them compensate for some of the executive functioning deficits that they had, that executive functioning being, you know, the ability to make decisions and think, you know, and think creatively and, and do other things. That's all happening up in the prefrontal cortex. Um, and so I think she found these really great ways to compensate for that. Um, the interesting thing was then when she got to high school, oh boy, things are a little different in high school. You need new systems. And so I mean, it was really interesting that she could take that initiative, but it wasn't something the school could give her. And frankly, it wasn't something we alone could give her either. Um, and we have definitely relied on um, ADHD coaches as well. But it's it's just such a, it's a, it's a helpful thing to know that you really do have to advocate for your kids and you really have to educate yourself when it comes to ADHD. 
Well, I'll just echo what Aaron said. I think uh, your your initial points really are hugely important, and and the school also, I think, is um, you know really constrained in many ways by the very public law that gives children of all abilities and disabilities um, the right to have an individualized educational program that fits their needs. But to qualify um, for those programs, kids have to fall behind by two years. <laughs> usually and I mean it's more complex than that but uh, so that is a you know first of all a challenge to getting help when you're seeing that there really is a need for uh, broader help around these organizational and motivational issues and so on. And um, I, I think something that, you know, we parents have to play a very active role, but as you say, get the evidence-based best practices so that we're not just, um, you know, having to guess or choose from a menu, a uh, general menu of what would you like to do. Um, I, I appreciate your emphasis on the science behind this. So um, let's talk a little bit about those issues of uh, that I just mentioned of organization and motivation that are so difficult for many kids with ADHD. And uh, I know many parents of these kids get very frustrated with how disorganized or, or uh, they may uh, judge that the child is just lazy um, because they're not very motivated. And when, the, in fact, the kids are probably just feeling really overwhelmed uh, about how to um, choose from the different first steps they can take to get motivated and get to where they want to go. How do you address that concern and help parents understand why organization and motivation are so difficult for many kids, most kids probably, with ADHD? They sure are. They truly, genuinely are. You know, I think one of the worst things that we ever did professionally was label this a behavioral problem because it makes it sound like this is voluntary, chosen behavior that can be controlled through willpower. The same way we got up and chose what earrings we were going to put on or what we were going to make for breakfast. You know, the idea of a behavioral disorder and that label leads us down a very unhelpful path, right? When we start to use the scientifically accurate phrase of this is a neurodevelopmental disorder, then it leads us to much different assumptions about the child and about treatment. So I hear this, right, from almost every single parent and it's couched in such pain, right? He's a good kid. She wants to do well. Like these parents earnestly want me to understand that they don't have a bad child, but they're lazy. They don't care. They're unmotivated because they themselves don't have a different language because they haven't heard a different language from whoever has been doing the diagnosing and the treating and the educating. And so when they come to my office and we meet for intake, we talk at length about ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. And, and I will write down for every single intake and I will tell parents, put this in your head. ADHD is not about knowing, it is about being able to do at the time of performance. It is not a deficit in knowing what to do. It is a deficit in being able to regulate yourself to do what you need to do. 
And, and all of a sudden you can see the light bulb go on and they'll be like, yes, because some days they can get up and get dressed and get to the breakfast table. Or yes, with this class, they can get their test done or they can get the studying done. But that makes me think they're just lazy when it comes to biology or social studies or math, if they just applied themselves. And that's where we say, ah, and this is the crux of the ADHD disorder, right? It is a performance deficit at the time of performance. That child could tell you how to do it. They can't always get themselves to do it in the moment. And once that lens clicks into place, that the performance will be uneven and that that is the nature of ADHD, you can just hear parents exhale. I've been working with, um, uh, a couple who have three children, their oldest of which is diagnosed, and we're doing some parent coaching. And I had my second session with them yesterday, and they said, we exhaled. We just saw his whole self from a different lens once we saw this as neurodevelopmental, that these weren't behaviors he was choosing and that he could you know, control them all of the time. And that's what I love, right? Once we understand that your child with ADHD is struggling to regulate their behavior, much as you're struggling to regulate their behavior, then we can get on the same team. So I, I just really go into what is the science of this? How does the brain work? Why does it look like it doesn't make sense? But how do you actually make sense of it as the parent or the teacher? I want to ask a follow-up question since you're talking about this so clearly in terms of being a neurodevelopmental disorder. And with that word developmental in there, I'm, I'm wondering what you know as somebody who really is on top of the latest research on this about the extent to which some kids kind of grow out of aspects of ADHD. And I'm asking this from a from a position of a grandmother actually, the the daughter that Erin referred to, um, who, you know, clearly clearly has had has um, ADHD, but at this point has developed, I think, a truly remarkable capacity. She's a high school senior. She's uh, studying in South Africa this semester and, and uh, you know, has a capacity to really pull together and organize um, big things, you know, take a lot of initiative. Now, obviously, these are things that really excite her and interest her, but um, she really has, I think, emerged as, you know, one of the, the most effective organizers uh, of that age group that I know. And it's so different from, you know, what what you might think based on the, you know, the kinds of issues she was facing, especially earlier in her schooling. So what's your take on that? And is that just learning? Is that effective intervention? And, um, or, or is it really something that kids do or people do grow out of? I think the most recent research suggests, and, and, and I think this is a field we're gonna know a lot more about in 10 or 20 years, but the most recent research suggests that by about the mid-20s, it seems as though symptoms have resolved for about half of the pediatric population of kids with ADHD. What I think we're gonna learn a lot more about is what's the difference between someone who still has those core symptoms but has effective coping strategies 
what's the difference between a kid who has simple ADHD versus complex ADHD with other diagnoses? And what does growing out of ADHD look like for those populations, right? So right now, roughly speaking, what does the research tells us? You know, chances are half and half. We do know that treatment makes a huge difference. And I think there's some exciting new medical research that shows that stimulant medication may actually have a long-term positive effect in terms of the neurology of ADHD and how the neural neural pruning, excuse me, takes place. So we don't know that it does that, but it makes sense that if you are treating the core symptoms and as that teenage pruning happens in the brain, that, you know, if you're wiring together the things that are firing together, as they say in neurology, then if the brain is working you know, without the impairment of ADHD, that those would be the neurons you're left with. So I, I, I really, I wish I'd been a neurologist. I wish I was a neurologist now. <laughs> well, I, I, I have those thoughts too sometimes. It's, a, yeah. it's the most amazing field and it cuts across so many different issues beyond uh, ADHD and other neurotypical uh, developmental disorders as we know them. Erin, I'm yeah, sorry I interrupted really... you. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I, you know, I was thinking about what you were talking about that kind of breath of air that those parents were breathing when they came to better understand this is a neurodevelopmental disorder, that this is a disorder that affects someone's ability to regulate to do the things they want to do. And I was thinking about how there are so many psychiatric comorbidities comorbidities that can occur with ADHD, depression, anxiety, um, and many others. And I really feel like a big part of those comorbid mental health conditions are related to this kind of perception that someone's bad or they're not good or, um, or that they don't care or that they're lazy. And, and I will even say, you know, for, for me as a parent, I have definitely had some missteps with one of my children who really struggles, pretty severe ADHD, cannot get anything done. And it's extremely frustrating when, you know, I'm working uh, as a clinician, I'm doing mom enough, I teach at the university, and I'm trying to manage a household and spend as much time as possible doing fun things with the kids. And it's a lot. And so in that moment when I'm like, I really needed you to set the table before our guests came and now you haven't done it and I can see you're sitting on the couch with your phone, like, you know, I find myself like, how are you ever going to be able to hold a job, you know, which is like horrible. But in those frustrating moments, you say things and, and I definitely think that as parents, we need to recognize and continuously remind ourselves like, this is a good kid. This is someone who genuinely cares. They want to do well in their life. They want to do well by their family. And um, that I think those messages or those kind of persistent feelings, and maybe they even get some of it from peers, like, why am I not able to do get everything done? And here my friends have all this time to hang out or play video games virtually chatting or whatever after their homework. And I don't get to do that. And I think a lot of that really feeds into those mental health struggles that are so common with ADHD. Absolutely. You're right. Absolutely. You're right. And I I think that's another 
area for parents to be informed of that estimates are that between half to two thirds of kids with ADHD have another psychiatric diagnosis or a learning disability. That means your child is more likely than not to have something else going on. I'd love to talk with the two of you at some point about the intersection of ADHD and autism and what we know about that and how to help um, those students and, and their families. Um, but it it is difficult because the message in our American culture is still predominantly if you tried harder, you could fix and cure this ADHD problem. Um, it is definitely not a area of medicine where people believe that treatment can be helpful and that that should be the first step. And, and that just breaks my heart, right? It just, for a child to be getting all of those negative messages it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, I think, to the point of autism, too, and especially for kids who are, uh, you know, maybe pretty high-functioning autism, and then they have ADHD, that's going to affect their ability to pay attention to social cues, and that's going to make things harder. And so I think all the more reason to to support kids with ADHD and any other comorbidities in your coaching with parents, um, how do you help them find strategies that really work with their child with ADHD? I think, you know, there are so many books. I mean, I think I've read 90% of them and so many websites and resources, and it's like hard to find the ones that work. So what really works? Yeah. Well, I, I think you hit on an important point, right? One of the roles we take on as parents of kids with ADHD is we become even more expert in executive functioning. So if you're like me, right, I'm the only one in my family who doesn't have the ADHD. So I am the executive functioning brain in the family. I'm, I'm doing the executive functioning of the kids and, you know, a lot of it when it comes to parenting. And quite honestly, I think, Erin, the, the difficult answer to your question is different things work with different kids because you have to look at, and this is what I love about coaching, is what is this particular child or teenager's brain like, right? Is this an ADHD that's complicated by dyslexia? Is this an ADHD that's complicated by depression? Is this an ADHD that's complicated by anxiety? So one of the things I would tell parents is, if your child does have two or more diagnoses, try searching for executive functioning tips for kids with ADHD and learning differences, or executive functioning tips for ADHD and dyslexia, or ADHD and anxiety, because you're gonna need to find what's gonna work for that brain that is made up in that particular way. And I love that about coaching because we can focus on that individual. I would say in general, our approach when we work with parents is figure out first and foremost, what are your child's executive functioning strengths? Are they good at starting projects? Are they good at emotional regulation? Are they good at problem solving, right? Really figure those out. Post them somewhere. Post them on your bedroom mirror. Post them on your bathroom mirror. Don't lose sight of them, okay? And then figure out what is the executive functioning skill 
that's most getting in the way, right? Like, let's not focus on all the problems, right? Parents come into my office and they want to be heard. And so I'll hear a whole laundry list of, and he can't do that, and he can't do this, and he can't do that. And I, I listen because being listened to is so important, right? And then we figure out what are the strengths, as I said, and let's not lose sight of those. And then what's the first thing we wanna work on? Is it organization? Is it time management? Is it frustration tolerance so we can finish projects? So I don't, Erin, I'm sorry, have kind of a specific easy answer, but as a framework for parents, I would say focus on strengths, figure out which executive functioning skill is most getting in the way, work on that, right? Come up with a plan for that. Find three strategies that you're gonna try, put up the signs all around the house, find the cool YouTube videos about it, follow the Instagram, you know, get those concrete tips, share them with your child. And then once they have some mastery of that skill, pause, take a breath, celebrate that, and then move on to the next problematic one. We can't solve all of this at one time. Erin, I know that doesn't exactly answer your question, but do you think it's helpful at all? Oh, definitely, yes. I would. I was wondering if you could give a, a concrete example of a, maybe something you've used with a client sure. to illustrate this. So I was thinking about this, and I think probably the most relatable example is homework, right? And so lots and lots of different executive functioning skills get in the way of homework. First of all, we have emotional regulation. You have to have good emotional regulation. If you come home from school and you're all frustrated or you're exhausted or you're tired, you know, there's that piece of things. You have to have task initiation in order to start homework, right? You have to have sustained attention to start homework. So I think for me, a concrete example of how we try to approach homework in my practice and coaching parents on how to be successful is first, make sure that the emotional needs are met, right? If you have a child who comes home hungry, angry, tired, take a break. If you have a child who comes home on fire about the project, get started there. But attend to the emotional regulation. Realize that our kids are not computers any more than we are computers. And so, Customize that. If your child needs a break, take a break. If your child is on fire, go with it. Um, and then I think the other piece of this is figure out if your kid on the whole is someone who is great at starting or great at finishing, right? Most people are better either at task initiation or goal-directed persistence and provide support in the part of the task where they struggle. So for the students at our practice who we know have trouble getting started, we use all those classic techniques. What's one thing you could do? What could you accomplish in the next 60 seconds? How do you think the person who sits next to you in class is starting with this project, right? We just try lots of different things to break the task down. If we have the child who runs out of steam before the project ends, right, then we help with time management, but we also become their personal cheerleader. 10 more minutes. One more question, you can do this, right? Let's write down something inspirational so you can get through this last chapter of social studies and civics. Um, and so it's really looking at it through the lens of what's the executive functioning skill deficit and then how do I as a parent, depending on the age of the child, 
be the manager, the coach, or the consultant so they can learn to practice those skills for themselves. So we are 100% completely hands-on practical at my practice. The kids look at what they actually have to do. We're working on building executive functioning skills with their homework assignments, their studying, their classes, because that's how we learn things, right? Real life practice. Well, those are, are such practical tips, and I just love the way you talk about, you know, breaking this down into chewable chunks. And I think so often we we overwhelm kids, and particularly kids with ADHD and some of these related um, diagnoses, when when we don't do that, or we don't help them learn how to do that. Uh, so really good advice. And uh, uh, we, we need to end on that point with this conversation, but I'm already planning to call you back uh, Noreen, and uh, get you on again, because I think there are some things that would be really helpful to talk about uh, for many of our listeners who have kids in high school getting ready to apply to colleges. I know Erin has two high school seniors, um, uh, both with both with ADHD and, and with very different patterns, very different um, challenges, and both with just enormous strengths. And so uh, there's a little bit of personal desire <laughs> in our uh, having you back around those issues. But um, I know many people would really like to hear more of those concrete ideas about how to work with that uh, group of kids who are really transitioning to adulthood and making sure that they're prepared for adult life and that they're knowing, you know, how they can carry on these things on their own that you've started in the home maybe when they were younger. Um, so thank you for being with us, Dr. Noreen Russell. Um, and thanks to all of you who tuned in to Mom Enough. We'll be back again next week with another new topic and great guest. I'm Marty Erickson with my daughter, Erin Erickson. And thank you for helping us keep Mom Enough going for all these years. Content copyrighted by Marty and Aaron Erickson. All rights reserved. Visit momenough.com for an archive of all Mom Enough shows and many free downloadable resources on child development, parenting, and maternal health and well-being. Do you think I'll have a show called Kid Enough someday?